0: Would you turn this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1? We'll be reading from verses 9 through 11. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find Mark, chapter 1, on page 836. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Hear the word of God. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Let's pray. Oh, Father, this morning we draw near to you and we exult in your great name. You are a good and gracious God. You have made known your steadfast love and mercy. And we come this morning with a particular purpose, with a particular reason. We ask that you would Feed our souls from your word. Your word can give life. It makes the wise simple. It revives the the heart of our souls. And Father, we need this life today. Our hearts are so often like a desert. We pray that you would cause rain to fall upon us and give us life. Father, we thank you for the good word that you have given to us this morning about Jesus Christ and his ministry to save sinners. And we pray this morning as as we hover and work through these words that you would work in our hearts and that you would cause us, cause us to say, this is the beloved son and we are completely pleased with him. Father, we ask that you would move our hearts in this direction. We trust that you will do it by your Spirit who accompanies the Word. We pray this in Jesus' glorious and wonderful name. Amen. So I want to start this morning by quoting the first verse from Fanny Crosby's famous hymn, Blessed Assurance. The song begins, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This tune is a, a common one, and I'm sure many of you have sung it, and if we give careful attention to the lyrics of this song, we can begin to notice some profound and bold thinking within these words. Fanny Crosby can speak with certainty and confidence. She writes, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. She can speak with clarity to her own standing before God, heir of salvation, purchase of God. And she knows of God's redemptive work in her own life, her own soul, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. And the way Crosby writes and speaks about herself and her God is quite a refreshing reality in our day. Our post postmodernism, or whatever phrase you would like to call, our society and thought world is a is a society plagued with uncertainty and doubt and insecurity. As a people, we are unsure of who we are and where we're going and what we're doing. And Crosby stands in bold contrast. She knows who she is. She knows who her God is, and more importantly, she knows what her God has done in her own life. And we here this morning are not free from our cultural moments. We're breathing the same air, drinking the same water as our neighbors. And the spirit of doubt and uncertainty easily infects our own souls. We can have the same general angst. And this morning I want to put a finger on a particular point of doubt this morning. Is God for me? And how can I be sure of it? And when we begin to sink our teeth into these questions, is God for me, how can I be sure of it, they, they prove to be a complex web of connections. And while it might be tempting to just give the simple answer, yes, God is for you, you can be sure of it, and then just move on, often just giving the simple answer, yes, doesn't help the doubter, and it often doesn't prove very satisfying for the one who's caught up in angst and uncertainty. And so when we ask, is God for me? This raises a host of questions. It touches upon the the theological. Who is God? What is God like? What is his character? And it touches upon the, the personal questions. Who am I? What am I like? What is my character? And it brings these two realities into connection. What is my status before this God? What does this God think of me? What is this God going to do with me? And in contrast to the spirit of our age of uncertainty and doubt, we want to be able to sing with Fanny Crosby. We want to be able to say for ourselves, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. We want to be able to say with confidence who our God is. We want to be able to speak with clarity of our own standing before him. We want to be able to give testimony to God's redemptive work in our own souls, our own lives. But the great question is, is how do we get there? How can we get there to say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Where does blessed assurance come from? And there are many places in the scriptures that we can run to to help us gain assurance, to exercise assurance. We can run to Romans chapter 8, and here Paul gives us insight into God's eternal and immutable purposes. Paul says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And Paul comes alongside and he reasons with our doubting souls. He says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or we can run to the pages of 1 John. And John plunges us into the core of God's character. He tells us, God is love. And then John goes to parade God's affections towards his people. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and gave his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And With these questions before us, is God for us? Can we be sure of it? Instead of turning to Paul or John this morning, we turn to the pages of the Gospel of Mark. And here in these short three verses, Mark tells us of the baptism of Jesus, the outpouring of the Spirit of God, and this booming voice coming from heaven. And while John and Paul put the truth about God and his love for his people in in propositional truth, Mark bears out the affections, the purposes, and the works of God in a dramatic series of events. Mark preaches the same exact truths as Paul and John this morning. Mark testifies to the love of God, to the faithfulness of God, to the redemptive work of God. He just brings it to us in a different and fresh way. Instead of telling us, he shows us in dramatic fashion that God is indeed for us. So our aim this morning, Lord willing, is to grow in assurance, in confidence, by coming to Mark's words about Jesus and gazing upon them. So I've already tipped my hand as to what this passage is about. It's about building assurance in the people of God by answering the question, is God for us? But there's a bit of a problem here. These events on the surface, verses 9 through 11, seem unrelated to doubt and uncertainty. How do we get from Jesus' baptism to the issue of doubt? How do we get from the Father's words from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased, to the issue of is God for us? How do we move from this reality to that? And so we have to do the work of justification this morning. Just imagine if Mark was sitting with us Today. Would he be pleased with this interpretation, with this application of making these words about doubt and uncertainty and assurance? And I think he would be pleased. I think he would be nodding and saying, yes, this is what this passage is about. So we have a little bit of groundwork to do this morning. As we've already seen, as we've been working through the gospel of Mark, Mark is indebted to the Old Testament. We spent time working through Old Testament passage after Old Testament passage. And in particular, Mark is indebted to the prophet Isaiah. When Mark wants to explain who Jesus is, what this gospel is all about, and what's at stake in this gospel, he runs to the pages of Isaiah and he opens them up before us. Isaiah is his source and his guide. Mark says, as is written in Isaiah the prophet, So we need to follow Mark's lead and turn back to the book of Isaiah this morning. And here within Isaiah's prophecies, we hear the question being asked, Is God for us? Near the end of the book of Isaiah in chapters 63 and 64, we hear this long and urgent prayer come from the lips of Isaiah. And at this point in the story of Isaiah and the people that he's ministering to, there's this this great struggle going on. They've heard the good news of God, that God is going to return to his people. They heard that this God will come and save them and make them whole once again, that this God will unveil the strength of his mighty right arm before them. But now we come to the book of, end of the book of Isaiah, and the people are looking out at their current situation. They're not seeing the return of God They're not seeing this promised salvation. They're not seeing God's mighty right arm extended. So Isaiah begins to lament in chapter 63, verse 15. He says, Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. And this lament is a long lament, and it, and it works itself into chapter 64. And the lament closes with these words in verse 12. Isaiah cries, Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? And We see a, a burning question in the mind of Isaiah and in the mind of his disciples. Is God for us, and can we be sure of it? And here in the midst of these questions, Isaiah raises a very specific concern. He asks God to perform a very specific action. In the middle of this prayer, chapter 64, verse 1, Isaiah cries out, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. So Isaiah, in light of all these questions, these doubts, these troubles, he pleads that God would split the heavens open and descend from his heavenly temple. That God would come and show himself as a a mighty warrior, casting aside all of his enemies. That God would come in the display of his power and heal their hearts and, and pardon their sins. And only one answer will satisfy the questions. Is God for us? And can we be sure of it? And that answer for Isaiah must include split heavens, the appearance of God himself, and the de- demonstration of his power to save. So, with Isaiah's desperate prayer before us, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, when we turn to the Gospel of Mark, our passage doesn't seem so random anymore. There's a logic and there's a purpose to it. Mark writes in verse 10. And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. What Mark is doing is he's, he's taking up Isaiah's cry, his fears, his worries, and he's carefully crafting an answer. He presents to us the, the rending of the heavens, the coming of God, the appearance of salvation. Or in other terms, Jesus' baptism is all about the issue of assurance. Assurance. It's God's answer to Isaiah's prayer. And if the scene answers Isaiah's questions about, is God for us and can we be sure of it? Surely we can find answers for our own souls this morning as we ask ourselves, is God for me? Can I be sure of it? So in this scene, Jesus' baptism and all that's going around this, Mark gives us three reasons for assurance this morning. Reason number one for assurance, the the works, the actions of Jesus. Look with me at chapter 1, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As usual, Mark just states the events going on in his gospel matter-of-factly. And the temptation is, when we're reading Mark, is just to fast forward through his words. They're so simple, they're so compact. We've heard this story many times. However, verse 9 should give us reason to pause and consider and think. First of all, we need to pause and remember what this baptism is all about. Verse 4 fills us in. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we hear the result of John's ministry in verse 5. What happens after he preaches? All the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him, confessing their sins. And It's obvious as we look at Mark's account that this baptism is not a, a religiously neutral event. Rather, this baptism is dripping with meaning and significance. This baptism is a call for radical repentance. It is for a people who live far from God, and for a people whose hearts are full of sin. It's a call to forsake idols and to return with a whole heart towards God. And secondly, we have to pause and consider who Jesus of Nazareth is. And we can examine the broader scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 22 He did not sin. 1 John chapter 3 verse 5 In him is no sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 He knew no sin. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 He is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. And the record of scripture is clear. Jesus was sinless and pure. He did not sin. He knew no sin. In him is no sin. He is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. Not only can we consider the wider testimony of Scripture, but we can look at John's own preaching in the wilderness. Verse 7, John says this about the Lord Jesus After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And John is pointing and is preaching to Jesus. Jesus is this coming mighty one. He is the the king of Israel, the coming one. And he is actually the God of Israel. And so what does this Jesus do? Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Mark leads us out into the wilderness where we see a bunch of sinners confessing their sins and seeking forgiveness. And this is where we first meet Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We find him in the same muddy waters, undergoing the same baptism as sinful Israel. The one who did not sin, who knew no sin, who is holy and innocent and unstained, is baptized in the Jordan the coming mighty one the king and god of israel is taking upon himself the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins so what does this all mean it seems like a paradox on one hand we have jesus sinlessness and we have this issue of baptism and he's going there he's doing this we have to be clear this morning Jesus does not undergo this baptism for himself. He has no sin. He has no need of repentance. He does not need to forsake idols and return to God. He has never left God. Rather, he is plunged into the River Jordan for the people of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, radically identifies himself with sinful Israel. In the muddy waters, we see Jesus taking their name. He takes their place. He shares in their grief and their repentance. He stands with them as they confess their many sins. And he plunges himself fully into their situation. And Mark here is beginning to unveil the glory of the gospel. God has come. And he does not stand aloof from his people. Rather, he has come as a mediator, a redeemer of sinners. And he has come to bear the heavy yoke of sin and guilt. And this baptism in the Jordan River is a sign pointing towards a greater baptism. Jesus speaks again about baptism in Mark 10, 38. And he says he must undergo this baptism. But this baptism, he's not going to be plunged into the muddy waters of the Jordan. This coming baptism, he will be plunged into the perfect justice of God. And there on Calvary... He will bear the sins and the guilt of his people. And from the muddy waters of the Jordan, Mark calls us to cast our eyes to the cross of Jesus. And here we begin to understand how God will save his people. Here we see the mighty right arm of God unveiled. God has come and he's identifying with his people, bearing their yoke of sin and shame. So is God for us? How can we be sure of it? Well, Mark tells us, look directly at the baptism of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There is no clear evidence. God is for us. He has identified with our suffering and our sins. He has bore our yoke. He has become our mediator. He has entered into this baptism. And this baptism lays bare the beautiful character of our Savior. Consider his humility this morning as he plunged himself into those waters, though he had no need of it. Consider his love this morning as he bore our yoke of sin and guilt. And Cast your eyes this morning upon his mercy and his kindness as he stands with sinners in the waters. All of his character is put on full display here, and it is accessible to us eminently accessible. So we can move to the second reason for assurance this morning. The coming of the Spirit. We can just move down one verse. Look at verse 10. And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And we see here in verse 10 that Jesus' baptism His radical identification with the people of God in their sin is met with a heavenly response. As Jesus emerges from the waters, the heavens are rent and the Spirit descends upon the Lord Jesus like a dove. We can ask this morning as we gaze upon this strange scene, the coming of the Spirit, what does this mean? Why is it significant well, the descent of the Spirit from the rent heavens marks an important shift. And I don't think we can overstate the importance of these words in Mark's thinking. The coming of the Spirit marks a shift in the history of the world. And we can reach this morning all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. The second verse of the Bible reads, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering, was fluttering over the surface of the waters. And Mark is keying us in here to something new. Something is happening here. The God who created the world and the spirit that hovered over the surface of the waters has returned in a dramatic way. God's powerful and creative spirit is once again on the move. And Mark is shooting up a signal flare. He's getting our attention. He signals that what is going to take place in the ministry of the Lord Jesus is nothing other than a new creation. The very spirit that worked in the first creation to bring order out of chaos is the spirit that clothes and empowers the Lord Jesus in his own ministry. And Jesus' spirit-filled ministry is going to cause new life to spring forth. In Jesus' ministry, we're going to see the, the dead live. We're going to see guilty and sinful people be forgiven and made whole. And in Jesus' spirit-filled ministry, the earth will find its rightful king. And we have to ask again, is God for us? Can we be sure of it? And Mark shows us this morning that the coming of the Spirit is vital for our assurance of faith. While this Jesus joined the mass of the crowds in the wilderness, while this Jesus heard the same preaching as all the other people did, As Jesus entered into the muddy Jordan and took upon this baptism, we see here in this verse that Jesus is categorically different than every other Israelite. He possesses the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God possesses him. And Mark works to assure our souls this morning of Jesus Christ. Our humble savior, our mediator, the one who entered into the waters, who identifies himself with us, is filled by the same spirit of Genesis chapter 1. And because of this, we can be confident that this Jesus will accomplish all that he sets his hands to. All that Jesus says will be done. He will accomplish redemption. He will bring forth justice. New creation will surely flourish under his watchful care. Just as the first creation flourished under the watchful care of the Spirit, so too new creation will flourish under the care of the Spirit-filled Messiah. As we consider Mark's words this morning, they should remind us of another part of Scripture. Isaiah 42 should ring loud in our ears and comfort us about who Jesus is and what he's going to accomplish because of the Spirit. Isaiah writes, "Behold, my servant, whom I whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him; he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud, or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break; a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice." He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. Mark is working assurance in our hearts this morning. He's pointing us to the Spirit-filled Messiah. Because the Spirit is upon Jesus, we can have confidence that he will bring forth justice to the nations and that he will not grow faint or be discouraged in his ministry of reconciliation. The hope is secure because the Spirit possesses the Lord Jesus. We can move to the third reason this morning for assurance, and that's the, the good word of the Father. Look at verse 11. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. As we move from verse 9 to verse 10 to verse 11, we can sense a crescendo building. Mark is picking up the doubts and the fears of the people of God. And he answers the great questions of Isaiah Where are your zeal and your might? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? And Mark is pressing into our own doubts and our own fears. Is God really for us? Can we really be sure of it? Mark's answer to our questions gets louder and louder. His argument with our souls moves from the very subtle to the very plain and the clear. And this morning as we look into God's word, we do not have to infer what our God thinks. We do not have to guess. The God of the scriptures does not remain silent as his son enters into his work as the redeemer and mediator of mankind. But his booming voice breaks through the heavens and penetrates our doubting ears. He says, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. We see something glorious revealed in these verses. The plan hidden for ages. The hope that is progressively revealed throughout the law, the prophets, and the writings is revealed in fullness before our eyes. The only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, steps forward to accomplish the plan of redemption. The Son of God clothes himself in humility and he's filled and empowered by the mighty Spirit of God. He takes upon himself the yoke of his sinful people and he enters into the muddy waters of the Jordan, standing with them as they confess their sins. And he says of himself, I have come not to be served but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And the Father looks down upon his Son in this scene. The father gazes upon his son's perfect humility. He beholds his son's perfect obedience to the task. He looks over and survey his son's preparation. He sees his son's willingness to partake in this plan. And he gives us a sure verdict. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And in this scene, Mark gives us precious, precious insight the crowds are unaware of what's going on in this scene they do not recognize the significance of the lord jesus christ the son of god as he stands there in their midst they do not understand that the spirit has come and has anointed him for this work as redeemer and mediator they do not hear the voice of god sound from heaven but to us this morning to us Mark reveals a sure word, a strengthening word, even more than this, a word of assurance for our souls. And as we grapple with our own doubts and our own fears this morning, the word of God enters in, it breaks through the clouds, it awakens hope, and it drowns out every other voice. We hear the best news of all come from the mouth of our God as he speaks to his son in this intimate scene. You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. As we consider our Father's words about the Son, what utter confidence we can have in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. The Father has looked upon the Son, His Son's willingness and obedience, entering into the waters, and He renders His perfect judgments And the Father holds out the Son to us this morning as the beloved Son, one we can trust, one who is worthy of our trust. So we can return to how we began this morning. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. How do we get there? How can we be able to say in our own souls, blessed assurance, Jesus is fully mine. I've experienced his work of redemption. I know the working of his spirit. I've been washed in his blood. And for the experienced Christian... I've walked with Jesus for 10, 20, 30, 50, 60 years. How do you stay there? How do you stay in the state of saying, "Blessed assurance Jesus is mine?" And the reality is, we can't work ourselves up into assurance. We can't talk ourselves into the issue of assurance. We can't persuade ourselves. We only get this blessed assurance from Jesus Christ. Himself. There is no other way. And so I invite you this morning, even more than this, I can say stronger, I command you this morning to linger over these precious words from the gospel of Mark. These words are written to answer our doubts and our fears. So pick up the text this morning. Linger over the character of Jesus revealed in these words. Consider his humility, his willingness His love, His kindness. Linger over His baptism in the muddy waters and all that it means for your souls and how it points to a greater baptism to the cross. Consider closely the coming of the Spirit and this blessed guarantee. Isaiah says, I've put my Spirit upon Him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And hear again and again the Father's words about his Son. Run them through your minds again and again and again. And even more than this, this morning as we leave, I urge you to take action, blessed action. The merciful and humble Savior is before you. Grasp hold of him with both hands and do not let him go. The Spirit-filled servant is before you. We have heard of him. Place your hope firmly in him. His mission will be fully accomplished. And the precious and authoritative words of the Father have, have sounded clearly in your ears. Believe them. Take them to heart. Build your life upon them. We can ask, is God for us? Can we be sure of it? Behold the Lord Jesus Christ. See him in the waters and hear his Father's testimony. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we rejoice in your good word this morning. It is precious and it is good. We pray that you would work through your word this morning by your spirit and that you would work assurance as we gaze upon the glory and the beauty and the humility of Jesus Christ displayed. Oh, Father, cause us to say in our hearts, This Son is beloved. Cause us to say, I am thoroughly pleased with this Jesus. Oh, Father, leave us not in doubt. Leave us not in uncertainty, but show us the glory of your Son and satisfy our souls today. Let not this sermon fall flat, but give it life. Amen.